0: Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, candidates prepare for the first conservative leadership debate featuring everyone on the ballot.
1: Most of the analysis post last week has been that conservatives have to change their tone. This comes from people like Peter McKay or Preston Manning. I spoke to Manning after the debate on Thursday night and he was disappointed, he said, with the...
0: The, the, the prickly nature of it. How much will the abortion issue become a factor in the conservative leadership race?
1: I still don't know where these gentlemen stand on this issue. I don't know whether they're pro-life or pro-choice. And, and the media will hound them. For example, Mr. Pierre Polyev has ran from the media the last few days because he doesn't want to declare whether he's pro-life or pro-choice.
0: And an alliance of organizations focused on women's rights calls for an overhaul of the RCMP.
1: The systemic issues that this uh, report raises as well as the um, many instances sadly of uh, and horrifically of Discrimination are echoed in a number of institutions right now in
0: this country, military, uh, prisons, as well as within the police. It's Tuesday, May 10th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacorte, columnist for the Toronto Star. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Mark. So, for fans of Canadian politics and the, and the, for lack of a better term, the the sport of politics, the uh, the the game that we all watch, it's kind of an interesting week because tomorrow night we're going to see a debate between the candidates for the conservative leadership, the six people who are running to replace Aaron O'Toole as leader of the official opposition, and today, this afternoon, in fact, we're going to see a debate in Ontario. Ontario's in a general election. In fact, the, the election is a little over three weeks away. Uh, and so uh, there's quite a lot at stake in that race. Doug Ford is running for a second term um, and and his party, um, the progressive Conservatives. So let's start there and, and then we can talk about the, con- the federal conservative debate. Uh, what do you think about the Ontario election so far? And what's at stake going into this debate in northern Ontario this afternoon?
1: Oh, well, let's stay just for a second on the idea of two happening together because I went to the debate last week, the um the the, the one at the uh, Canada Strong and Free yes. network, the well, one that everybody is talking about which yeah. we will talk about.
0: The former Manning and, the the everybody thinks of it as the the Manning Center, right? So it's now, exactly. it now has a new and name Preston, but that's, I did t- a yeah.
1: lovely chat with Preston Manning while I was there. And what I was really surprised by was the fact that the Ontario election did not come up much. And you'd think in a room filled with political junkies where Canada's largest province is going through an election, there would have been talk about that on the stage and nothing, nothing at all. It's like the Ontario election and the federal Conservative Party leadership are happening in two separate places. If Doug Ford has a view on uh, which one he likes, he's not saying He's not getting involved in the race. He didn't darken the door of the, that conference over the weekend. So I think it tells you that we have two very different political contests going on right now. We have one for Ontario and one for the federal Conservatives. Oddly enough, the federal Conservatives have to worry about their electability in Ontario, but they're just staying away from that thing. So we're um, Doug Ford goes into this debate in a reasonably healthy position. Polls are showing still that he's got a majority within reach, that uh, Stephen Del Duca, uh, the Liberal leader, is doing not badly in the polls either if if the goal is to come from three to two. And Andrea Horvath uh, still is talking as though she's running for Premier, but I think this is one of the events that's going to help sort out who's in first, who's in second, and who's in third in this race, and there is not general agreement on that yet, although it seems to be settling into, this is a traditional Ontario election between the Liberals and Conservatives.
0: Hmm. And while we're on the subject of comparing the Federal Conservatives to the Provincial Progressive Conservatives, um, why is it that right now it feels like, and I know things can change and there are always winds blowing in different directions and trends, and Uh, You know, there is this pattern in Canadian politics, almost going back to Confederation, where when there's one party in power in Ottawa, there's another party in power in Ontario. Um, But why is it, when it's so hard for Conservatives to win seats in Ontario federally, it seems easier for Doug Ford and the progressive Conservatives to win seats in Ontario provincially?
1: You know, I've been thinking about that a lot, and I'm wondering if we are now seeing different voter bases. Um, that that John Charest, when he was talking last weekend at the conservative leadership debate at the Manning conference, he was speaking very much like a Bill Davis kind of conservative. Uh, the the you know as Ontario goes, so goes the nation. That kind of. National vision conservatism, which is progressive conservatism. And Doug Ford is, still calls himself a progressive conservative. I think he started out as a populist, and people thought that he would be more of the kind of Polyev, uh, you know, anti institutional campaign that, that Pierre Polyev is running. And Doug Ford has emerged, I guess, after four years in power, as more of a centrist or almost apolitical in many ways. I was uh, listening yesterday to some pollsters talking about this, and they largely think it was pandemic that that pushed Doug Ford to be more of a reactionary, less of a reactionary, knocking institutions down kind of guy, and more of a make government work thing. I don't think it was lost on anyone that on the eve of calling an election, he went to Windsor and appeared at Justin Trudeau's side, which is and and discussion. Justin
0: Trudeau appeared at his side which is also exactly. interesting. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So, yes, it is I I, I think it's a, it's a definite reality of this early part of the uh the Ontario election that it is not happening at all in the where conservatives are playing at the moment. It it does look like there's just two separate universes here.
0: Yeah. All right, let's turn to the federal leadership debate. And uh, what do you you expect from that tomorrow night? Um, And I think another question that a lot of people are asking is the extent to which uh, the abortion issue, which is playing out obviously in the United States right now, is making its way into this leadership race for the Conservatives.
1: Well, the Conservatives would like that it would not do that, but it can't help but do that. They've had two leadership contests already since coming out of power in which social conservatives had a huge amount of clout and may have been kingmakers. And Leslie Lewis technically is the only social conservative anti-abortion candidate in this race, but she put it on the table last Thursday night in Ottawa. I don't see any reason why she's not going to do it again. It makes conservatives feel awkward, but it is on the table and... Liberals will help to push it that way too because they think they win when when Canadians take a close look at the the, uh, the awkward dance between the conservatives, social conservatives, and the uh, the more libertarian keep the government out of your life conservatives. But it is going to be an issue. Definitely is going to be an issue. Pierre Poliev has made freedom. He talks about it all the time and gatekeepers and. For women, this issue of freedom and gatekeepers is very real when it comes to abortion. So I, yeah. I I think that it's definitely going to come up. You'll you'll get the usual remarks from them and I think all of them are dreading the clip that Liberals will use in whatever election campaign is, is next to show that but it's definitely going to come up.
0: And what about the debate itself? Um, because I think there, there is a perception that Pierre Poiliev is the front runner. It's so hard to know what's, what's going on in terms of recruiting members who will ultimately cast the votes that will choose the next leader. There are people asking, is, people who consider Jean Chaudet to be a threat to Pierre Poiliev, others who are saying he's not even close. So it, it, does somebody need to, if, if, uh, if, if it is going to be close, does somebody need to do something, make a move in one of these debates?
1: So the, the most of the analysis post last week has been that conservatives have to change their tone. This comes from people like Peter McKay or Preston Manning. I spoke to Manning after the debate on Thursday night and he was disappointed he said with the the, 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 the prickly nature of it, the angry nature of it, the very personal nature that's not Preston Manning as we know and the room loved it though. The The room loved that sharp exchange. So I think, again, I've been saying this sort of ad nauseum since Thursday. I'm really struck by the difference in who the audience is and which who's playing to who. Last week, they were playing to a room that was very much on, in Pierre Polyev's camp. They, there's no question that Jean Charest got booed when he said anything against the convoy protests. You know, the, that was not on in that room last Thursday night. I'll be interested to see if they've done a tone adjustment, too. And the other big change in the dynamic is that Patrick Brown was not there last week, and he will be there on Wednesday night, which, if there are frontrunners in this, the Sharae, Polyev, and Patrick Brown is one, too, because he has a a remarkable ability to sell membership. So I think we're going to see a different tone. Whether that's just because there's a different dynamic, or whether they're correcting for last week or sharpening the focus, I, I it's going to be fascinating yeah. for me to watch anyway.
0: Yeah, very interesting. All right, um, just before we wrap up, Susan, I wanted to get your thoughts on a on a report that has come out uh, from an alliance of organizations focused on women rights women's rights, and it's it's calling for the federal government to do an external review. Of the RCMP to address its treatment of women, there have been a number of concerns raised about a toxic environment, uh, very similar to the kinds of allegations that have been raised about the Canadian Armed Forces. Um, so, uh, what do you think about that? And and is this is this something that is going to generate some attention uh, in the Prime Minister's office, in the Cabinet, and elsewhere?
1: Uh, very definitely. First of all, this government is proudly, unabashedly, some to some annoyingly, feminist. So anytime somebody says this. Also, don't forget, there has been a major conversation going on inside the RCMP with the uh, you know, General Vance, from leadership in the RCMP, and it all revolves around this toxic culture and sexual harassment. So I'm, I'm not surprised to see that this is happening, too, because this has vexed this government. You recall the prime minister's chief of staff actually testified uh, about uh, her disappointment in, in what was going on in, um, in the military. And the RCMP is, is similarly, uh, yeah, the, the two cultures have been facing the same allegations now for, for quite some time. Uh, tomorrow night, uh, the RCMP commissioner is up before the, the special committee looking into the declaration of the emergency legislation, too, and I would imagine she's going to be asked about this as well.
0: All right. We'll see what happens. Very interesting few days ahead. Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, thanks, Mike. That's Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Today, we send
1: a resounding message to the world that Canada... And our allies
0: continue to stand shoulder to shoulder with Ukraine. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues, Justin Trudeau was right to visit Ukraine. The Sun writes, It's starting to feel like the war in Ukraine is being normalized, that it's no longer as front of mind as it once was. The Prime Minister was right to bring Canadians' focus back to the war, making a surprise visit over the weekend to the Ukrainian capital. Saying no to Vladimir Putin's aggressive posture towards Ukraine has been a nonpartisan constant in recent Canadian politics. As long as this unjust conflict continues, it's important that Canada and Canadians signal that they support Ukraine. At Policy Options, Lynette Ong, argues Canada should support Southeast Asian nations to help deal with China's clout. She writes, Canada can play a role in improving the robustness of civil society in Southeast Asia. Emerging economies often need Chinese investment to build infrastructure and extract natural resources, leaving them with limited options to decline any investment offer. While Canada does not have the financial resources to compete with China in that area, it has the capacity to assist with institution building in terms of human capital investment and institutional architecture to bolster the region's capacity to engage with China on a more equal footing. This deserves a prominent place in Canada's soon-to-be-announced Indo-Pacific strategy. In the National Post, Dr. Harry Rakowski argues we can't let our guard down, even as we see signs that the pandemic is drawing to a close. Rakowski writes, We are now likely close to an endemic state, since over 90% of the population has been vaccinated and or infected. And while we now can be cautiously optimistic for an uneventful summer, there remains uncertainty about the fall and whether a more dangerous and elusive variant may yet develop. We need to have learned from our previous failures to anticipate and contain the pandemic. I fear we remain underprepared, despite having relatively simple tools in our toolbox that can help keep us safe. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will speak with the Chancellor of Germany before chairing the Cabinet meeting and attending question period. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will virtually attend the Cabinet meeting and question period and conservative members of the Special Committee on Afghanistan will question Defense Minister Anita Anand. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, May the 10th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.